Welcome to uh, Behind the Vinyl Dough. Yeah, I feel this is really behind. I like it. It is. It this is. is kind of a long time coming because I, I don't think I've asked you to do this, but uh, we've been talking about it for yeah. a long time. We're going to get you, Joel. You have mentioned it. And uh, yeah, it's good that we get to do it finally. It's great. Absolutely. And there's yeah. a lot going on, and especially we'll talk a lot about um, the final countdown. Yeah. You know, um, you can rename it to the vinyl countdown. Ooh, there we go. go. There, there we go. go. Um, but I'm going to start it off by just saying we we had Magnus who did the um, the Hard Rock Export um, show on uh, the last episode, yeah, and um, and we talked a lot about you and you had a very much yeah you had a big part in that and 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 really cool. How was it for you to 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 finally see that Hard Rock is getting some recognition again over here in Sweden? I think it was a brilliant program, and uh, I was lucky enough to be involved in the beginning and talking to them and because uh, I was intrigued is this what is this going to be you know because this could be really good yeah and we were lucky all of us because it turned out really really good and I remember seeing the uh, did they do a trailer for Sweden Rock or something a teaser or something like that they, they actually did a teaser just before and they actually yeah. broadcasted the first I think the, so the yes first yeah. episode on the last day of Sweden yeah. Rock so, yeah. yeah and I remember I was on tour and right. uh Watching it in my hotel room, I actually, to be honest, I actually got a little tear in my eye because I thought, this is amazing. Yeah. This is actually the first time. We're now working on the proper Europe documentary, but that was the first time it was sort of done like that, showing Upland Svea's being the 70s, 80s, and, mm. and bringing it back and talking about the band in a respectful way from all these artists that are in, in themselves very respected. Yeah. And they're mentioning us. I really felt special with these guys, why they talk so positive about, you know, that stuff. That's amazing. So that meant a lot. So this has been really good for us in the band. Well, I mean, also, uh, I remember I talked to you five years ago and um, you touched upon that. You mentioned like, well, a documentary would be kind of cool. And and now obviously you're doing it. So, but what's that like going back? I mean, going back in time and, and finding stuff and talking about the old days and all of that. I mean, Europe's, it's been a lifetime now. Yeah. It's, it's quite overwhelming. Yeah. I was lucky enough to find a box of VHS, which I have transferred digitally. And that's coming back from 84, 85, 86, when everybody comes to San Francisco, Berkeley to mix final countdown, there's a live take of heart of stone in on that one of those tapes it's stuff that we haven't really looked at and uh, the director is so happy that I found it and he's going to get it all. And it could be, it could turn out pretty good. I didn't know we had material from that. Right. So it's overwhelming now because when you start digging and you start looking, what should we put in? There's so much. Mm. So it's kind of a, you have to balance it. Yeah. You don't want it to be long and boring. You want it to be exciting, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but do you, I mean, do you get, do you get nostalgic looking at all those old things and, and, and yeah, some of it, yeah, it's automatic with the human being, I think. Whereas this band, we've not been a band that repeat ourselves all the time and we try to move forward and have an adventure with every record and what we do. It's still special to see because we're the same guys today Yeah, that recorded the final count. I'm in, in, in Zurich and went on those tours. Um, there's a show with Mick and Ian, the first tour they did and that's just great to have and uh 
yeah, then you get like, wow, I remember those. I remember backstage. I remember <laughs> the folk, folk park in Sweden <laughs> where we used to, we were crazy enough to invite fans and stuff in, in the in, in backstage in the, in Lorsen to hang out, <laughs> drink beer. It was so different. And then the tour manager ran off with a suitcase trying to get cash. Right. Yeah. We're talking, you know, this is way back. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, After, did you get the cash? <laughs> got it, got it, got it. <laughs> so this, and we were in a post bus. We were traveling with the crew in, the, in, a, in a yellow post bus, um, all of us. And early days, and it was partying, of course. And, you know, th- yeah, those were fun days. They were.
was it easier back then? When you, you know, did you kind of think it? Obviously, it was a harder life, you know, and a, and a harder way of touring. But was it kind of easier? You were younger, and yeah, and uh, it was harder touring in a way because more gigs and more traveling and and no sleep, you know. But you could handle it when you were that age. It was sort of automatic. Time. The funny thing with time is time moves so slow when you're young. You have the world is just there. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to plan so much. You just go with it. Whereas now, time moves fast. When you get older, you, get, you perceive time is moving yeah. faster. So you need to plan further and you need to really be on the ball. Otherwise, yeah. you're just going to disappear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas in those days, you just go with it. And it's amazing how much we achieved between 84 and 86. All those tours and Swedish Metal Aid and, and uh, recording the final countdown, me... Uh, Doing other projects, Tony Norum, I produced her album. I, I, I don't know how we managed to. Right. And it was just, it's automatic. Yeah. But uh, some of it's documented, which is great. So hopefully we can give a picture of that. But that's another thing. Cause I mean, today everybody's got a, everybody's got their cell phone and they're yeah. taking pictures and filming yeah. everything. Yeah. But back uh, then, I mean, no. you literally had to have a VHS cap camera, yeah. a yeah. big one yeah. usually. Yeah. And exactly. not everybody had that. No. So no. you didn't think in those ways that you would document things, you know? Our, our first manager actually did. I don't right. know why he had that in him. He, he said, I, I got to film and he'd filmed. Yeah. So he never right. gave me all those tapes. Right. So, we wouldn't have done it. No. Yeah. You're right. You're we right. would not have no, done it. No, no. That generation, we didn't think like no. that. No. So it was some... Um, we kind of had a couple of photographers around too. We talked about photographers earlier. Yeah. But back then we had Ross Halfen, yep. who kind of covered a certain style of band. We yes. had Niels Lozauer mm. in the U- yeah. in America. Mark then we Weiss. Had, uh, and Mark Weiss. And then we had uh, Michael Johansson. Yeah. Yes. Who yeah. obviously was around you guys. So yeah. there's there is a lot of... A lot he, of stuff from those early years because of because of um, Michael. thanks to Michael and, and OK Magazine and mm. Anders Tegner and those guys they they did document a lot and they've uh, when we did our thirty anniversary tour ten years ago we um, managed to get to look and use those pictures live on the LED screens a lot of them and that was amazing to see so now we know what we got we can use some of that again and right yeah yeah Michael's got a lot of stuff yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah he, he's um, yeah, he's invaluable to the whole actually, oh, yeah. scene. You yeah, know? yeah, he's yeah, kind yeah. of a little bit and a shout out to him, you know. Yeah. But, uh, and he's a little bit kind of out of it now. Yeah, uh, he's out of he's low key as well. He's very he's, yeah respectful, and he's he's kind of he's he takes his job serious too. Mm. Very, serious. but he's a little bit on the uh, yeah. outside now. But he has he was with us even in '84 when we went to Finland, our first festival shows with bands like Blackfoot and I don't know Runaways and all. Road Rats, Connie Bloom's first band. Right, yeah. right. We were in, in the woods in Finland, you know, and then he was with us or from there, 84, I think. I don't think it was earlier than 84, but 84, he started with us, yeah. And he's always mentioned when you talk to Ross Halfin or Nils Lozauer or Mark Weiss, they remember yeah. Michael and yeah, they yeah. remember because they were like this. I think they were like, just like a group of photographers that yeah. they, they toured the U.S. and yeah. they all shot the same bands and yeah. all that. So Yeah, they did. And he, he was there. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, he, was, definitely. he managed to get in everywhere as well. <laughs> yeah, he was not quite nifty like that. Yeah, yeah. And not everywhere. I'm just trying to think of the band, but he told me once that they, okay. they flew him all the way out to uh, 
uh, to America and right. then they walked him in the venue, through the venue, out the back door, close the back door and, and that was it. Okay. You know? and he was like, well, that's an exception to the rule <laughs> yeah. because uh, for some reason, there's Mickey again. Huh? What the hell? We were in Santiago or Chile or something. Right, yeah. What? Is he here? You know, he managed to get in. But thanks to that, we have a lot of stuff. record a little bit um we talked a little bit at, at uh, earlier today um where you wrote that where you wrote a lot of those songs you know was yeah. um 
you know, was was in your home, in, yeah. the, in the basement of your home. It was a basement of my parents' house yeah. in the Plaza of Aspe. Um, my sister moved out by then, I think. My brother lived upstairs. Um, I had a drum kit. I mic'd it myself. And I started doing demos. I started doing demos very early. I was interested in that bit of things too. It helped me a bit because mm. uh, demos became a way of writing. Um, but in those days, I had to redo the demos all the time. And I think that's why I got better. There was no Pro Tools. I couldn't chop right. and move and fix and listen. I want to move that verse to there and I want to move that into. No, I had to redo it. Right. So a lot of those songs, Rock Tonight, a sec- probably four or five demos, different, completely different, and because I had to make it better and better and better. Um, so I think that was a learning thing as well. But yes, I did. I had a studio there with the first a four-track Porta studio, then an eight-track Tascam, then it, uh, I think it was a 12-track after that, 14. And I did my demos most of the time, or I met the band in the rehearsal and first album, Seven Doors Hotel and those songs I probably yep. had in my head. I probably played them at home. Some of them I demoed, but I brought them to the rehearsal. So yep. let's try this, guys. And John was always amazing He because he, he was so amazing on guitar that I was mesmerized with him. And and he also was so positive when I brought a song. He thought it was great. Oh, you have a new song. That's great. Instead of having a, a problem with that, you know, oh, I want to write too. Or, you know, it, it was so open. It was so... He was so amazing at his craft, and, and I loved writing. I yeah. started writing. We talked about it from my first home. Um, we moved when I was around 11, but the first home, that's when I started writing. There was a piano and guitar there because my sister was four years older, and my parents wanted her to play. Mm. She didn't really take to it. So out of pure chance, I picked it up. So that's why it's so important. I tell parents, you know, have a couple of instruments around. You yeah. never right. know which one of your right. kids are going to start sitting after after school. Yeah. yeah. So my dad said I used to sit before school and after school. As soon as I got home, I just sat and played. And because it was, it's, it was an interest, it was a hobby. And so that I started there. And then when we moved to the next house, then that's when I built a little studio. Uh-huh. Also, when you, when you did demos for the final countdown, and also when you do demos, are you the kind of guy that kind of, because I know that a guy like Paul Stanley, yeah, the song is, all, is practically done when he demos them, are you the same kind of guy or, or do you ha- just have like bits and pieces or? Uh, I, there was a period for out of this world demos. <clears throat> they sounded a bit too good. I thought <laughs> because <laughs> the producer Ron Everson said some of them, what are we going to do to this? Right. So yeah, there was a period there maybe, but I always had a conscious decision. Don't make albums at home. Right. Never have a studio that is good enough because you don't want to start doing that. That's a headache. Right. Then you go to bed and you're making an album. It's too much pressure. You want to get to the band. You want to get to a producer in a studio where everybody can help and chip in with ideas and sounds. So I've never been that precious about right. the final demo. Is That's a, a blueprint of the song. Mm. And that can even be changed a little bit. Mm. But I like to get it to a stage where it's a, it's a good, every part is important and it's a good demo that I want to listen to over and over again. So that's what I did. I used to drive out in the car and listen to the demo over and over again. And when I got home, I said, no, there's something not right. I had to redo it. Right. And that's the trick. You have to live with it a little bit and keep listening. And as I said, time moved so slow back then that it was, it was like, no worries. I can no. do another one. Now it's like, I'll do another demo. Oh, I don't know if I have time for that. You know? That's another thing I've heard. That a lot of people, a lot of musicians that they... Um, they do demos and then I listen to it in the car. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. Well, that is a great way to listen. It to is it. a great yeah, way to listen, yeah. sound wise, and also there's something uh, a bit strange, but something about moving. There's something else you think you're doing two things. Yeah, right. Driving and listening. Right. And this is what a lot of writers, including me, like Mark Knopfler, and and I think Dylan and other people too are, and Gilmore say they write in front of the TV. <laughs> Right. You're right in front of the noose because okay. your brain is doing something else at the same time. Right. right. It, it releases your um, creative. You're not so focused. And I'm right. I have to write a great thing here. Yeah. You're sort of just doing it. Yeah. And then you record it. You know, oh, that's good. Record it and still watching. Yeah. And the next day, yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> so I think maybe listening in the car has something to do with it. You're doing something else and you have to obviously not mm. crash the car. Yes. So you free yourself and you hear it from a more open perspective and you realize, no, I don't want to hear that again. I want to change that part. Right. So I don't and, know. I'm just freewheeling. <laughs> yeah. 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 But we, we're talking a long time ago. Nowadays, everyone listens to music predominantly on their phone. Yeah. That's yeah. probably yeah. the, yeah. whereas back then it was pretty much predominantly in the car. Yeah. I, I used to listen to so much of my music in the car with yeah. your friends in the car driving here. Oh, driving sure. There. sure. So yeah. it makes sense as well. Walkman was okay, but the headphones were never good but, enough, I thought. And um, Were Walkmans around then? Yeah, when they came at least. Yeah. Right, they yeah. did yeah. come yeah. around the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Oh, and then yeah. disc Walkmans come around about the 90s. Yeah, that yeah was exactly. Yeah, yeah, I never used wrong. them, but even Walkmans I wasn't that keen on. So you're right, car was the preference. Yeah. Or at home or at the party. We used to go to parties in Oplas Vespa. We played air guitar and listened to, you know, whatever we listened to. Yeah. The earliest parties I remember, the fir first two Queen albums I remember we listened to, and Thin Lizzy and Purple and uh, Frank Marino. And we just meet up and drink beer and listen to, and someone will say, listen to this album and check this out. And I remember John Levin's parties were great because his brother <laughs> was also into music. And sometimes his younger brother introduced music to us. Oh. Right. So we were there you know, getting a bit drunk. And he came, listen to this, guys. And, you know, it could be whatever. And it was amazing. And we thought, that's great. So listen to music was so important together. If you listen yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Then you get it like a global, global soul and you start thinking the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
also, I mean, as you mentioned, that you had to do, if you wanted to change something, yeah, on a demo, you actually had to re- yeah. re- redo the whole thing. Yeah. Compared to today, as you mentioned, yeah. where you can just cut and paste and your yeah, Pro yeah. Tools not. So wasn't wasn't it a bigger? I mean, it took more effort to kind of put a song together just because you had to really actually do it. It was more effort. It was compared to today. You didn't think about it if you had the passion. You did. Right. Yeah. You, you had to do it, and you knew that I'm going to play this for the guys. We're going to this folk park show. I want to have this demo ready so I can play it in the tour bus. Yeah. I remember playing Daniel on the track in the tour bus and stuff. And um, it was important to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> and if something was wrong, you, you felt like, I don't want to play that. It needs yeah. to be to a place where I like it. Then they can take it further. But, yeah. So, yeah. So, so the demos for just say um, Final Countdown. Yeah. Yeah, the album. Yeah. What, what was on the demos? What did you... I, what, um, what songs were you demoing? I just found the demo for Final yeah. Countdown. Um, uh, and it's not as good as the, the, the final version. Yeah, but I, I'm thinking for the whole album. Which Yeah, yeah. The yeah. songs that were, we put together something for the publisher, I remember, right. in my publishing. And um, Carrie was on there, maybe a stripped down version of it, maybe not the full version of it. Yeah. Because we did tour with Carrie without the instruments for, for, in 85. Right, oh, me and okay. Mick play. Mick playing keyboard, and I'm singing. Right, so it was more like a stripped down version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Final Countdown was on there. Rock the Night, um, Ninja was on there. It was five or six songs. Time has come, maybe because that was um, came late, but it was something I liked. I remember uh, Cherokee was the very last one. I don't think that was. We just brought that to Zurich. That that wasn't on it on it on um All right. any compilation or anything. Right. But there was those songs and and we had actually those and played it for the publisher, but they weren't finished. Right. Like that, you know. But a song like Carrie and everybody says that. But I mean, when you wrote that song, did you kind of have a feeling like hmm, this could actually really be something? Because it is. I mean, yeah. it's such a powerful, yeah. it's a nice melody too. Yeah, play it on acoustic. Yeah. What happened was me. That was I wrote most of the stuff on Final Countdown, but that was the exception. I wrote that with Mick, and yeah. we stayed. We stayed behind in the rehearsal. He started jamming. That's how we write together. We wrote "Walk the Earth" like that too, and, and other great songs. We have this sort of chemistry, me and Mick, when we in the room and we jam. And so he started, and I started singing that melody, and then I went home and I finished. Uh, a demo what the chorus in I came up with a name Carrie I thought it was it was a good punch it was a good name it was a good a good word to sing and then the story sort of a love story and um, yeah and then then I built on on that jam from the rehearsal I like that too these days when we write they send me sometimes that and I build from that I like that too yeah yeah but where did that name come from? It was like, there's the movie, Carrie, which it is the Stephen possibly, King thing. It could well be from that movie because I thought the movie was a bit abstract. I thought it was kind of cool. I thought it was different. It was very different from that time. Oh, yeah, sure. Bordering on horror. Or yeah, 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 oh, yeah. But it yeah. was kind of, and it could have been from there. Um, but also, as I said, I sang, when I, I tell other songwriters this, that, and sometimes they don't do it, but I did it. When I had a track ready, I sang it over and over and over again um, until the words start coming. Right. And uh, it could be it could be 20 times or 30 times or more. 
until it started to form. And then I have to sit on the pad and start writing. And then, yeah. but so it came to me and, and Final Count on the same thing. But that could also have been pitched from, there was a song for uh, called with a band called Balance called In For The Count. Yes. Which is a great album. It is. Um, and who knows? You know, that's when you're young, you pick up things everywhere. Sure, sure. It could have been from there. Yeah. But that was, Final Count was, Final Count was one of those songs where I just played and played and sang over and over and over again until, ooh, that's, that fits quite well. And then, right build a story around leaving Earth. I was so interested in Space Oddity. It was my, one of my first yeah. singles I bought. And that David's fascination with space became my fascination with space. So then I had a story. When lights go down I see no reason For you to
story of the final countdown. I mean, it, it still works today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we're we're fucking up the earth. We were just talking about in, yeah. in, in flames, and this was singing live now. Something like uh, Joey was yes, right. It's exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I got that text from Portugalios, their their video guy, and and I think it's great. Yeah, we have mutual respect, and and I know in flames, uh, they kind of like Europe, and we like them too. Yeah. So. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I suppose in a way, yes. That's why it's so strange when they use this song for weddings and other things. Right. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yes. well, melodically, that's fine, yeah. but maybe not lyrically. But that's, that's all fun, good fun anyway. Yeah. Did, did, does, it, uh, does it ever still amaze you just how far reach that song has? I can remember bringing Nicky Six in a rock classic and just on the side just saying, oh, yeah, this is um, the guy yeah. who's going to interview you as Ian from Europe. Yeah. And he was like, what? Who? Yeah. Like really from Europe, Europe? Oh, wow. You know, the yeah. fact that it actually reaches these kind oh, of people. Oh, yeah. Uh, so many artists over here, like you said, In Flames or the Opes. Or it the does surprise me yeah. and it, it it makes us happy too. We I remember going to Greece to play this festival and it was our favorite singers. It was Robert Plant. He was headlining. Chris Cornell solo before him and then Europe. And we met Chris and his band and they were like, wow, Europe. Americans, they grew up hearing it, you know, but they were like, wow, this is great, man. You guys are great. And that was so much fun. And that happens, you know, when we play Hellfest in France, you you go out, first time we played there, oh man, they're going to slaughter us here. This is is like a heavy, (laughs) really serious, heavy festival. But they all gathered in front front of the stage. And we realized how big that song was in France. I mean, when we first doing promotion in France in 86, 87, they said, you might as well move here. You're going to do TV shows and you can move here and live in this country for the rest of your life. <laughs> and we realized that when we played Help Us then later on how anchored that song is. Oh, yeah. In France. Yeah. And a billion views on. Yeah. And, and a billion views. And not only a billion views, the first Swedish band yeah. ever yeah. to reach a billion views. It's insane. Was, that it's, was, it's amazing. Uh, you told me that. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I knew we, we weren't up there with all the bands around the world. But when I heard, what? what? The only band in Sweden. That's amazing. And, you know? and and to to say you're not up there with all the bands, I, I'm just going to bring this up because yeah, I've sent it out. Yeah. It's uh, Michael Jackson Thriller. You know, kind of in my head, yeah. one of the biggest mm. all time videos mm. is, is 930 yeah. million. It's by <laughs> you. Insane. Wow. Um, yeah. And there's other bands, you know, like um, ABBA, which yeah. is 600 and something. Yeah. And Roxette, yeah. which is 300. So yeah. when you put it in that contrast. That's amazing. Uh, I think Beat It is less than that. One a, yeah. one a Dead or Alive, you know, or, yeah. or, or um, uh, Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi yeah. are below you as well. Yeah. Yeah. When you put it like that, it's, it's a remarkable. It's absolutely amazing. And I haven't thought of it like that until you brought all these things up. And because Planet Rock approached me a few months ago with, about this, and I went, wow, that's great. But then it's just sort of sinking in yeah. how many views. People must like that video and the song, we, you know, have found its own life out there, but also the video, it seems like. Yeah. yeah. And I can actually remember growing up in Australia, I can remember that video, you mm. know. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Where, where was that they filmed? Did, it was filmed. It was um, Solna Holland in Stockholm. Oh, right. Solna Holland. It was the final countdown tour. It was very early. Yeah. And two nights we did that. Yeah, right. Okay. And all the stars, all the rock and pop stars were there in the audience. Everyone yeah. was there. And it sold out two nights. And Swedish television was there uh-huh. to film it. Okay. So our video team from London came in and they filmed the Swedish television filming us. Right. And it became kind of a strange, what's he doing there? They filmed the guy, you know, filming us. Yeah. And, 
But I remember immediately after, I was thinking, oh man, they should have used that my black jacket more than a white jacket. <laughs> and what the hell is that shot? And I was like, but now so much time has passed. It's kind of, it's got good energy, good yeah. colors. It's good editing. And yeah. uh, so I don't, I don't have a problem with it now. I remember back then, it's like, oh, I don't know. Should have changed a few shots there, but you know. <laughs> but it seems that struck a chord, even the video and the song. So they work together.
those days around that album. That's like the the peak of the 80s. Yeah. And you're extre- you have an extremely successful album. Yeah. And you're this really good-looking Swedish singer with amazing hair. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, all the girls want you, all the guys just want to be you. Mm-hmm. How do you stay... And you're young. I mean, how yeah. do you stay sane? Is that a Swedish thing that you're... that you're more, Perhaps you're more grounded as a person or... I'm lucky with my family, probably grounded uh, with my upbringing maybe, but also... I was a writer as well, and mm. songwriting was important. If if fame is if the you tip the scale and fame is more important, right. then you're in trouble. And yeah. we saw a lot of that. Yeah, in, in LA and in, in in international bands, that partying as soon as they got big, that was that was it. We've yeah. done it. We made it. Yay! <laughs> But I started worrying about the next album immediately. Right, Be, being a writer, something. Oh, how are we gonna? What are we gonna do now? <laughs> <laughs> and then I managed to get superstitious going for Alex World. Well. I thought, oh, God, we got something. You know? <laughs> That's how it was. That's how it is. Yeah. Because if you're serious about what you do. Yeah. So I thought that saved me a little yeah. bit. Wow. Thinking, oh, shit. You know, I can't go out party every night. And right. I can't just living life now. Even though we were. we. I mean, we were in the best hotels. We had bodyguards, we had private jets, all over Europe, all over the world. We had, we were at one point, one of the biggest bands in yeah. the world. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And to have have that is amazing. Yeah. But I remember that was also a difficult period because, hang on, you have to focus, man. Come on. Yeah. So, of course, some wild parties, but there was a lot of also focusing and thinking, oh, man, we have to continue. I, yeah. I think you, you you hit the nail on the head with songwriting as well. Yeah. You know, the the fact that, you know, you're a, you're a master of your craft. You know, you're always yeah. trying to master that. Mm. And that's what Magnus said last from from Hard Rock Export yesterday. Yeah. Uh, we referred, I'm not going to say the name of the artist, but um, he just said, could you imagine if that guy had the the talents of Joey Tempest right. yeah, in yeah, regards yeah. to writing a song? Yeah. You okay. know, because this 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 artist he was talking, he had all these other things. Yeah. But could you imagine if he had that that ingredient? Exactly. So that was obviously something really yeah. important to you with all the other work stuff around ethic, it. Work ethic and patience came from my parents as well because my, my dad was, um, when he was young, he was from the countryside way out in Gothenburg and, and uh, outside Gothenburg and he was lying and, and saw these fighter planes coming over and planes. He was like, I don't want to do that. You know, and he didn't give up. He went through the um, Fliegwaffnitz. He went through right. the army to get there to become a pilot and captain. And, you know, we saw that as kids. You can have a, something and you focus and you can do it. And and, and uh, positive thinking, mom, that comes a lot from my mom. She was always like, if you don't get it right, just do it again. And again. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It's good enough. Just do it again. You know, it's fine. So it was not like, oh, that's crap. Stop that. You know, it was always just everybody has to practice. Everybody has to do things right. again. Yeah. Nobody just hits that. You just have to keep doing it. Even if it was a little drawing. Yeah. That was terrible. I was terrible at drawing. <laughs> she'd be like, she'd be like, oh no, just do it again. That, that'd be fine. And that sort of sunk in. Ah, just do it again. Yeah. Get it a little better then, you know? Isn't it that funny? Yeah. You get a little bit older and you go back and you think about these these yeah. simple things your parents yeah. did to you. Sure. Yeah. Especially when you have kids and you yeah, you, yeah, you often yeah. feel like ringing up and going, uh, thank, thanks. Yeah. You know, just, <laughs> Yes, thank you. you yeah, know. and showing by example is good too. And parents, if you're a parent, you know, yeah. if you focus on you're good with your work, they see that too. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. So, 
But also back then, because I, I, and you said that also when, when I talked to you that uh, after Wings of Tomorrow, that um, that you guys talked to Dieter Dierks. Yeah. Uh, yeah apparently did. about producing, I guess. Yeah, and, and but we, I mean, and how, how did you go from Dieter to then ending up with Kevin Elson? Was that strictly the, the record company going with that? Or did you? That's an interesting question, actually, because that was a period when everything <clears throat> was up in the air. We just yeah. did Wings of Tomorrow and we were playing these uh, demos to people. We wanted to move to another producer. Mm. And Dieter Dirks was one of our favorite choices. And he was actually answering. He was he was keeping a dialogue with us. Right. I'm not really sure why it didn't happen. Whether it was he was busy with Scorpions. I, I don't know. I don't remember actually. Right. But we were in dialogue with him. The more interesting bit maybe we were in dialogue with Bruce Fairburn as well. Ooh. Bon Jovi's producer. Nice. And that was sort of close to happening, but he he listened to, I think he even heard the final countdown and thought, no, there's there's no real songs here or something, <laughs> you know? Wow. So there's, there was a few up in the air there. So I went to New York, 21 years old, with Thomas Erpman, our first manager, New York and Tokyo. i never forget that trip. Can you imagine? Black Rock, CBS <laughs> Epic. And this was New York that wasn't that safe. Right, you know, yeah. This was before Giuliani uh, yeah. cleaned it up. Yeah. You know, this was like, if you walk out, they're going to approach you. Yeah. Pe- weird people are going to say things to you. Yeah. yeah. And I'm at 21. Like, Whoa. <laughs> so I stayed mostly up in the hotel where, where and, but I was invited to, to the record label and we played um, a few songs from Wings, Open Your Heart, and uh, I think Stormwind. Stormwind and uh, maybe a heavier one to scream and they were really excited we also met with I think it was Polydor but they said they already had a band from New Jersey so oh. they, they didn't want to have another one similar <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was actually true we had a meeting you know? right but then we went to C- CBS were really on yeah they're like this is this is cool young band great songs you know yeah, yeah. and it was that time 80, yeah. 84 yeah it was like so but they suggested Kevin Nelson. And right. I, I remember call. I remember talking to the guys, uh, and they were up for it too because it was Journey. Yeah. And me and John Norum used to sit and listen to Steve Perry and, and uh, Neil Sean when we were teenagers. You know, listen to the vocals and the guitar playing. And for us, that was cool. Mm. So we were on board with that, and that was actually from Red Company. And then he came over to Stockholm. We did demos with him, and he made notes. I remember and record our rehearsal, and then he went back, and then we met in Zurich to uh, record. Yeah, final well, countdown. Well, Kevin Nelson really fits. I mean, as you mentioned, yeah. he he done Journey, but he that was that was like the I think the biggest band he'd done by then. Yeah, and then he did a, a bunch of movie soundtrack, like mm. Teachers. I think he's the producer for the Top Gun soundtrack. Yeah, uh, he did in a 86. few big songs as well, like that. Risky Business uh-huh. with yeah. Tom Cruise, but also Mr. Big. And I yes, liked, later on. Yeah, yeah. I liked the, the first Mr. Big stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was cool. Yeah, um, other bands too. Yeah. He started out with 38 Special way back. Right, yeah. I think he did yeah, Leonard Skinner. Yeah, he was sound engineer for, yeah. for Leonard Skinner. Unfortunately, he was part of the uh, flight crash as well. He survived it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was a delicate issue. We were talking a little bit to him about it, but that was – he He just woke up after the crash sitting in the tree, seeing all his friends. It was, it was mayhem. Nuts. He lived through that, and he was such a nice guy. He's a great guy, and – we had a great time with him recording um, the final countdown. 
But yeah, he, he was instrumental too because he had that sound. You can hear it also that it's a little bit for American radio, that album, but it was still rooted in good sound. Oh, yeah. It wasn't that 80s album that was totally overproduced. No. Still sounding clear, a little warm. Yeah. Even though for radio, they used to sort of have less bass. Right. American producers, a little bit less bass, mm. but it was still was still cool, I think. Yeah. So we were happy. Yeah. And why Siri? Why not LA or wanted, New York or? He, he wanted to get the bands out of their own. And, and it was a boring little town outside. <laughs> There's nothing to do. And you lived in the studio. So you got nothing he to knew, do. Right. He knew yeah. that he needs to get these young bands. <laughs> He'd been there with one band before. Right. Us, yeah. And he realized this is a good way of keeping them focused. Yeah. Right. Right. So you live in the studio and you work every day yeah. and till it's done and then you go home. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. It was a good studio too. It was a good room. And yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that. He chose it and he wants to get into trouble basically. Because <laughs> he's seen it. He went to Stockholm with us. Right. And he went, come on, Kevin, let's go party. You know, go to Cafe Opera Burn Salonga yeah. or something. And yeah. oh man, we were wild in those days. So he just realized, hang on a second. I better put them in that boring old town outside Zurich. Yeah.
just sticking with the whole producer thing, bringing it the whole way to nowadays, um, yeah. writing demos and all that and working with someone like Dave Cobb. Yeah. Do you still work similar similar way? Do you still have that that mindset of don't make the demos too good? Keep them. Yeah, even more so, I think. Even Leave more it so. even more open now, okay. especially after learning uh, to work with Dave. When we did War of Kings in Stockholm, it was the first time we worked with him. Okay. And then we sort of, we didn't know how much are we going to let this guy in. But yeah. he ended up writing a few bits and he was, he's such a good musician. He's such a great hang and he's so nice. So when we did Walk the Earth, we invo- he did even more. Right. So right. he's part of the writing team a little, little bit. So yeah. not all yeah. songs, but. Um, so we are more open these days. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know how we're going to be with, with a completely new producer, but I think we are more sure of ourselves um, that we can stop it if it goes haywire and say, no, 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 we're, we're going to do it our way. But yeah. we're also open to, if you have an idea, let's, let's do that. If yeah. you want to change that intro to that or put a new bridge in that song because you think it needs it, we would listen to that. Right. Especially with David Will because he's, yeah. he's talent. He's really good. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you, you, you always, I mean, you, you won a Grammy, a Swedish yeah. Grammy as well. Yeah. And, but, but a thing like that, I mean. Um, I'm going to interrupt. Not only that, but it was also the album of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Rock it was. Magazine. Yeah, it was. Album of the year and <clears throat> true. legends for, for Bandit Rock Radio. True, true. Yeah. So, you know, we, we can't. Um, it was yeah. good. We talked about it earlier. It was a good way of sort of finishing before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. We were lucky like that. Yeah. yeah. And then all this slow motion years happened or whatever, the opposite just yeah. disappeared. Yeah. But we had a good foundation. The new Europe had put a foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, does it, I mean, it's an award, so, you know, it's it's an accomplishment and, and you get hailed and praised for something. But but now you're older also, and, and, and I mean, but does it still mean a lot to get an award like a Grammy? It did for us. Because yeah. we've had a rocky, not too rocky, but a rocky relationship with Swedish media and Swedish, um, not with the rock fans, of no. course, but mm. it's been kind of up and down with various reasons. But, and these things mean a lot to us. Yeah. I remember some guys cried, I think, with Rock Björn and, 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 and Grammy and Hall of, Hall of Fame, because we get touched. We get like, Wow, us from up last verse, but yeah, we never really got that during those when we were the biggest band. Right, we didn't yeah, get much no, love from no. Sweden, you know, <clears throat> from the fans, yes, and from some radio, but in general, I don't know, you know. So by the, this means so much. All these things mean so much for us. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's, it's amazing. Another thing I thought of is uh, in the future, would a thing like the famous uh, Le Baron Boys demos, would you ever consider releasing something like that? Uh, fans have asked us many yeah, years. As exactly. You may have seen. The problem I have with those, that they're a bit unfinished lyric-wise. Right. Also, there are no original master tapes, so we can't mix it. Oh. So the only thing, we can't find that now. I, I, We've pretty much find everything, but I don't know how we recorded it. Possibly on a, an eight track in, in San Francisco. And then we mixed it down and where the original tapes, I don't have a clue. Wow. So the problem would be more of a quality issue. Right. Cause they're already out. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Whatever. Exactly. So I yeah. I don't know how much we can, we can remaster those, but there's some lyric lines that are not finished because sometimes I leave that. Those mm. were not the album. It was right. demos. It was right. demos. So yeah. I, sometimes I leave a bit 
10% of the lyrics. I fixed that in the studio. So those are the two reasons mainly. Otherwise, there's some good stuff there. Yeah. It was a creative period in San Francisco. Yeah. Living in Russian Hill, I remember that. We were still, it was crazy days there. And uh, doing demos. Um, we had an American management, Herbie Herbert. Uh, right. Nightmare management. <laughs> Jer- journeys, <laughs> journeys management. It was actually called Nightmare Management. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and uh, yeah, so we were, we were in California quite a lot. 90, not 89, 90, 91. Mm. We practically moved there for a bit. Right, yeah. In Los Angeles, Los Angeles or San Francisco. Yeah. That was good in a way and also bad because I think you get a bit colored from where you are in the world. Right. And LA, it's a certain sound on the radio, certain people you hang out with out, you go out and it's, you don't want to get steered away too much from your roots. You yeah. Know? And, and you, that can happen if you stay there too much, yeah. in my view. Yeah, yeah. You know? so. But I find it so fascinating, like you said before, about um, after the final countdown, you said, like, so what am I going to do now? Yeah. And then, and then superstitious comes, all oh, right, okay, so got I, I've got something. We got something, but, yeah. Because you always think like, um, like, a guy like you and a band like you, ah, they're just going to knock a new song right out of the park. You know, it'll come easy. It will look. But I guess it is. From the outside, it will look like Yeah, that. exactly. But it's uh, it's demoing. It's like, what have I got? Have I got anything? I remember living in Denmark for a little while because we moved out of Sweden. So I was in Denmark before we went to uh, Keiko. So I did the, a few demos in Denmark. I think Superstitious, Led to Good Times Rock. And, and uh, I did in, in the middle of, in Hornbeck. Oh. Studio, makeshift studio in a small timber log cabin. <laughs> <laughs> now when I think back, my life has been quite strange like that. But, <laughs> but it didn't matter because the music was the rock. So it didn't yeah. matter where I was. Yeah. Right. Uh, Prisoners of Paradise is written in, a, in an attic somewhere in Missouri, Kansas, because I had the idea and the record company in 92 wanted more songs. Right. And I had this idea. I had, and I was traveling and I'm like, how do I? I went to a music store. Can I can I borrow some a Porter Studio and that keyboard and that guitar and everything? Did a demo, sent it to New York, so they had one more song and they liked it. So that became the first single. Right. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. Christmas yeah. was the first single. But um, yeah, so those demos, <clears throat> it works when, like I say, when you get one song or two songs, then you you get the confidence. Right. Uh, it happens quite quick.
how long, like, um, not only for the final countdown, uh, also now, you know, following yeah. it up, uh, walk, walk the earth. Uh, how long's that anxiety? When does that kick in or, or the thought start to think, you know? Um, because there's obviously a yeah. long period in regards to manufacturing a record, mixing, yeah. mixing yeah. mastering, manufacturing. So nowadays you're looking at six, eight, sometimes even a year after finishing the record. Yeah. Are you able to enjoy the, the fruits of your labor or are you mentally already moved on and starting to think? Because I think that's for a lot of people just in modern day life. You can kind of compare it to, you know, if you leave your job, you yeah. know, you, you can't sit back and relax and enjoy the month off right. before you start your new job because you're constantly thinking, yeah. am I going to get another job? Yeah. You know? right. that, that kicked in after a while. But I have to say beginning of 2020, the pandemic started. That was a period where I, it was so unsure, uncertain. The future was so uncertain that I actually thought, oh, I'm standing still now. I like this in a way. I'm going to start from completely scratch with writing. I'm not going to, I don't have an album to focus on writing. For. So I have probably hundreds of ideas since 2020, but it's been narrowed down and I've been able to have this time now to look at them again and do new demos. So now I'm, it's been great living with them because now they're becoming good. Right. Yeah. As I said earlier, time moves so quickly now. So this extra time, wasn't a favor for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah of yeah. course. Yeah. The, because otherwise we would have looked at an album 2020, probably 2017, right. 2020. Sure. And I'm telling you that would have been so different from what's coming next year. Right. So different. Yeah. So it's been a kind of a, for me as a writer, it's been great. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and for other writers, they, they, and they give you insight of what they listen to. And then you start digging in what they used to listen to and, uh, I like SodaJerker.com a lot, that podcast. It's amazing. And also I like uh, Broken Records uh, podcast. Oh, the, the, the yeah. Rick Rubin. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah. Right, yes, yeah. of course. That's the one I started with. I'm like, I'm walking along the Thames every morning, listening to all these great, they've slowed down a bit, but they they are great quality. Yeah. I mean, no, Neil Young was one of the last ones. I've, was, Neil oh, Young, they had yeah. Robert Plant was on there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. And they've Mark, done, Michael Stipe was on there. Yeah, they've done. The, the Chili Peppers, Brian Eno was great as well. Brian I mean, Eno, all yeah. that stuff, yeah. you know, they, they go across the spectrum, you know. But, but they also go for different people. They do, you know? they <laughs> do. Yeah. So, so the Joker is more, that that's like, um, it's it's a different kind of yeah. It's wider yeah uh, yeah. Um, but uh, I love those uh, things and that gives me inspiration too. But also listening through catalogs like uh, all the Bob Dylan stuff and I'm a I think he's the biggest and the best craftsman in, in in songwriting ever. Right. But but um, that's he, he, he's taught, he tears people. Some people I know. Yeah, I know. I like often his, his, It's often his yeah. voice. Exactly. Yeah. I like his music, but I can't stand but his I voice. Talk, it's I talked to Ian about it. <laughs> Ian and I've talked about it. He, he's always come to me. So what's special about Ian Haugland? What's special <laughs> about Bob? Like, come on, man. You got to tell me. Well, no, you got you to take, give it time. Everybody, I think, at once in their lives will go through his catalog. And if you're interested in songwriting, that is, and music. Mm. But there are easier albums to, to introduce you to, to Dylan. That, and, and that would be the Daniel, La, La, Daniel Lanois produced albums, um, Oh Mercy and Time Out of Mind. And everything is slowed down, uh, and and it's beautifully produced and great lyrics. And I mean, "Ring Them Bells" is on "Oh Mercy," my favorite Bob Dylan song. I think I shared that with Springsteen. I think he's is his favorite too. But but um, anyway, I've I've been going through those. Um, uh, sorry, "Infidels." That was one of the first as well from Dylan. That that introduces you to him in a more 
straightforward way. You know? Right. Anyway, that's just my sideline. I, I, I kind of like that kind of, because I don't listen to it. I listen to it differently. I listen right. to the words and how the hell did he do that? And words and composition and chord changes. And he was so good and, and prolific. And he took the early American traditional music and just built something amazing. Um, I mean, there's so many great songs knocking on heaven's door and and it's so many, you know, tambourine man or, or anything. And you probably like some of the covers then that's been done. Oh, sure. Better, tambourine man. Or, oh, or sure. Better. Absolutely. But no, anyway. I think he's bril- brilliant and a brilliant writer, but it's always been about his voice that it's, I, I liked it when he's younger because it's a bit different. But yeah, he sang more uh, straightforward yeah. when he was younger. Yeah, and he started croak, sing a bit, and croak. Um, I've seen him live when he doesn't even put any effort in. No, exactly. but the hardline, they're like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, no, this is this is like borderline now. Come on, Bob, you know, sing, <laughs> don't talk, you know. But I'm I'm looking at it far differently, and and I prefer him on record, and and he works so fast, and the musicians only musicians only have sort of one chance. Yeah. And he shows the song and this is it, play it. Yeah. <laughs> but I like the stuff that Mark Knopfler helps him with too, that he he was involved in a few records, Slow Train Coming and uh, Infidels, I think. And then the productions are better and, and, and then it reaches out to our generation a bit more. And, right. So there are, there are songs that, yeah. you know, so there is a new new album coming next year. Well, that's got to be the end of the interview. Uh, <laughs> I've been asked that today, but uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start recording next year. And right. What we've said is together with the documentary we hope coming out in the autumn. Europe, yes. Europe documentary, box set hopefully of all the albums, but definitely a 40 anniversary tour. So everything we didn't really we don't feel like we want to compete too much with that with new albums. So what we're going to do is we want to record new music and release one or two and new music next year. Right. And then will be the big release following year. That that's at least what we're what we're planning right now. Right. There's so much going on next year. Yeah. And focus on on the documentary and the 40th anniversary tour and uh, some other things. Uh, yeah. So But the box thing. set you mentioned of all the albums. Yeah. Is, is that going to be uh, uh, are there going to be like unreleased things or live things and stuff like that? Or I, we haven't come that far because the, the thing with Europe is we don't have that much extra. Much, some bands have loads. Of yeah. Us. Of course, we can mix live stuff. We can do that. Yeah. But from the studio, there's not much. No. If we're a bit boring like that. We come in with 12 songs and we come out with 12 songs. <laughs> like, yeah. How did that happen? We should have, you know, had 20 and, you know, taken 10 and they yeah. kept 10. Yeah. But uh, no. So. Uh, whether there's going to be new songs involved in that, I don't think so. But the box set will be nicely, it'll be great vinyl box set with all the records, hopefully. And, and nice. it'd be, whether we put something else in there, we have, we're, yeah, we have to talk about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I, I just one, one more thing. More. Yep. Yes. Cause I, I thought of um, the artwork for the final countdown. Yeah. Was done by someone called less cats that I've never <laughs> heard of. And I tried to Google it, and the only thing I could, other album I could find was, I think it's a he, that it did, like, two years after you guys, it did um, an album cover for Leslie West. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. But what's the story? Do, do, do you remember anything about who approached you? Well, we got this guy, his name is Les Katz. He's going to do it, or? It was through the label in New York. Right. And it, it's not the, our 
favorite album cover no. in the band. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we're not hiding that fact. No. I remember that, that being introduced to us, we saw, it was delayed as well. Yes. So the guy was late as well as doing right. not such a good job. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and we were on tour and this was presented by some representative from the record company yeah. and we were all looking at it. So when did we see the real thing? <laughs> so it was very much a Spinal Tap moment. Yeah. Uh, but it was too late then. We were on right. the road. We need, this needs to come out now. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we, we did shoot another alternative cover with us on the cover yeah. a few months later or a few weeks later. I don't remember that. But uh, yeah, it was it was my idea and our idea first to have some sort of we leave in ground, we leave in earth in monoliths. And I think I must have seen it in some sort of, I think it's not Star Wars, but maybe something else like right. that. And we were trying to relay this to the artist and we hope for the coolest thing ever. To come yeah. But he, he was a bit, it was a bit rushed, I think. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, now t- so much time has passed that you, you're married to it. It doesn't really matter. It is what it is. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That's absolutely. what happens after 20 years. It yeah. is yeah. what it is. Yeah. You don't really judge it then. But you can, uh, before that, you can sort of think, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. No. But it's still, a, it's still a, a, an album cover and an artwork that represents that time. Yeah. 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 Perfectly. So yeah. Now I don't have a problem with it. No. There's been moments I think, what? (laughs) 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 Yeah. Uh, Thanks for your time. Yeah. Yes. Thank you.
Let's go.